Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. Doing this series called When It Comes to Money. And today I want to continue in that series with a message called To Wrestle with Riches to wrestle with riches and just looking at our relationship with money. We received so many messages this week um, and some of them were actually from people that admitted that when we started this series, they rolled their eyes a little bit, even if it was just in their own minds, right? They, they just rolled their eyes a little bit and gave a little sigh and leant over to whoever came to church with them that day and whispered, oh no, here we go again. Right, that's how it started out for them. But what we've discovered as we've gone through the series is just how much it actually points to Jesus. Right, here at Anchor Church, our number one value is that it is all about Jesus. And we want to put Jesus in the center of every single part of our lives. And in general, that's easy to do. If you look at your work, uh, your, your work week, then you, you begin your week, you begin your morning with some prayer time. Perhaps you worship in the car on the way to work. You know, on Sundays, you go to church or you go to community group or you get involved. Those are all easy ways for us to make sure that we are, are feeding on Jesus and putting Jesus in the center of our calendar, of our time and all these things. But one of the areas that we struggle to do it in is to put Jesus in the center of our finances. Like, do we still talk to God about our finances, about our financial lives, about our relationship with money? And what we found in this series as we've gone along is that this is the one area more than any other that we keep from God, that we separate from our worship of Him. Because we worship God with, with our treasure. We worship God where your treasure is, there your heart will be. We worship God with our time, with our talent, uh, with, with our expression. And so this has been that one area we've separated, and it reminded me of a time that Brent was dating two girls at the same time. You know, it's, 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 you, you want to be devoted to both. In that time, Brent thought that he could be devoted to two girls at one time, and he promised devotion to each of them. But the tricky thing when you're dating two girls, which is not something that I would obviously recommend, is that you have to make sure that the twain shall never meet, right? And Brent made this mistake. And so he was walking with one girl, holding her hand while they were walking through the mall and then bumped into the other girl at the same time. How many of you know Brent left there with neither of them, right? That's why he's still single today. And so we've done the same thing with God and money. We've, we've kind of quietly been devoted to both. We kind of worshiped, God for eternity and so that we can get into heaven one day, but in our practical everyday lives, we really worship money. We've really made an idol of money. And the problem is, and the reason why people get offended when you talk about church in money is because now, in, for many people, I'm touching their idol. I'm beginning to con contradict their idol. The thing that they look to is like, don't touch my money. Don't talk to me about my money. That's my business. No, it's actually God's business. It's actually something that God has entrusted you with as a steward over everything that he owns. It's an awesome responsibility that we have. But we've treated it like serving God and money is like having two girlfriends. And that's why Jesus said these words in Matthew uh, 6.24, and this is from the unofficial Adrian version of the Bible. It says, no one can serve two girlfriends, right? Right? 
For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. All right, Jesus didn't quite say that, but the principle here remains. This is what Jesus goes on to say. He says, you cannot serve God and money. You're going to love one and despise the other. And so if our finances are not submitted to God, they will become God in our lives. They're either submitted or they're ruling. And this is why we need to wrestle with riches. This is why we need to put our riches, our finances, our wealth, it's all good things. If God has blessed us, that is a good thing. But we need to take that wealth and put it in a headlock and wrestle it to the mat and make it tap out in submission to God. We cannot flirt with finances. We cannot date our debt. If you date your debt, you'll end up married to money. And this is where God is saying to us that we need to make sure that we know where we stand when it comes to finances and that we have taken the victory that Jesus has given us, that we've submitted ourselves to God and thereby we are leading our finances and our wealth and we are not allowing our wealth to lead us. But Jesus said that finances have this thing about them, that they're sneaky, they're deceptive, the deceitfulness of riches. And so you've got to keep watch over your own soul. You've got to keep watch over your own heart. You've got to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening in your own heart in regards to money. And one of the best ways to know what your financial or what your relationship is with finances is to look at your generosity, your giving. That's the one way that you can know how much does my money own me? How precious has it become to me if I cannot let go, if I cannot be generous, if I cannot see someone in need and give to them? What does that say about my relationship with money? And so we need to wrestle with our riches. We need to put it in submission to God. And so this series has really been a lot more, if you go back and listen to these messages, has been a lot more about worship than about wealth. It's been a lot more about the true state of your faith than about finances. It's been a lot more about eternity than about equity. It's a normal part of our discipleship journey. And so, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a, a very a popular phrase at the moment that says, let's normalize this and let's normalize this. And usually it's stuff that shouldn't be normalized that everybody's trying to normalize. But, 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 but let's normalize talking about finances in church because it's about your heart, because it's about your worship, because it's about what do you truly trust in. You can say that you worship God, but if somebody looked at your bank account and your diary, they'll really know what you worship. And so we want to be the kind of people that worship God in spirit and in truth, in sincerity and authenticity. And that means that this is something that we've got to drop the sensitivity about, right? There's a maturity that we've got to have here where we can say we can talk about this because we know it's a real factor. We deal with it every single day. We think about it probably at least 10 times a day. We think about our finances. So how come we're so sensitive that nobody can speak into that area? That has to change, and we really have to look at this. We as pastors have sat with countless couples 
and you know, married couples and marriages and relationships that have hit the rocks as a result of money, right? Addictions that have developed and, and, and families that have been torn apart over the issue of money. And that's why the Bible tells us that the love of money, the desire for money, the, the inordinate worship that we give to money and value that we place on money has the ability to destroy. It leads to destruction. It pierces us with many pangs, the Bible says. And some have wandered from the faith in their pursuit of money. And so it's so important because we love you, Anchor Church, because we know that God is trying to get something to you as opposed to something from you, that we speak about this and that we, we understand where we stand with money. We, we are sure about it because we want to see God's best for your life. That ungodly desire for money, the Bible says, literally has the ability to strangle God's word in your life. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a, uh, an illustration here for the sake of illustration. And, and I want to make sure that everybody understands that this is an illustration only, all right? But Will, can you come up here quickly? <laughs> so I'm just, I just want this to be imprinted on your brain today, right? But um, Will has a family. I'm, I'm, I'm a dad. I have, a, I have kids. I've never done this to Will before, just in case you're wondering. But in essence, this is what Jesus said money has the potential to do with the Word of God in your life. I'm going to hold on for a while. <laughs> but if I just stand like this, I know it's a graphic image and I, it feels uncomfortable doing this actually. But I want, you to, I want you to feel that discomfort here this morning. Because the Bible says that money will do this to the Word of God in your life. It's not a joke. It's, not, it's, it's this pretty serious if it has this potential. So we better know where we stand on this. We better know what, are you feeling lightheaded? <laughs> All right, let's give it up for Will being choked out for the gospel this morning. I can, you know, I could only do that with somebody who's like my best friend. Anybody else would be like harboring a grudge right now. But, but listen to what Jesus said in the parable of the sower. In Mark 4 verse 13, it says, and he said to them, do you not understand this parable? So he told the parable before the disciples themselves are like, we have no clue what he's talking about. So Jesus has to clarify. He says, how then will you understand all the parables? Like if you don't get this, I don't know what I'm going to do with you guys. He says, the sower sows the word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown to them. There's, you know, their, their hearts are hardened like a hard brick path to the word of God. And the moment that seed falls, Satan comes and removes it so that they wouldn't be able to, to receive that seed. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground. So Jesus spoke about the seed falling on rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately they receive it with joy and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And then it says this, it says, and others are the ones sown among thorns. So the word of God is sown. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. So it's talking about money and the desires for other things enter in and 
choke the word and it proves unfruitful. It removes the fruitfulness that we would have experienced if we would have received God's word. Now we become unfruitful because instead we are in love with money. And our love for money has choked out our faithfulness to God's word. But those that were sown on the good soil, and this is who we want to be as believers today, are the ones who hear the word and accept it. Accepting it means believing it, putting your trust in it and acting on it and bear fruit. So when we hear God's word and we are obedient to God and we are submissive to God's word, what happens is there's a fruit and there's a return and listen to the return. 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. Our financial guys here this morning, does that sound like good return? I mean, I'm pretty sure, Aaron, like your clients, if you promised them 30, 60, 100-fold investment return, that would be a good deal. That's what the Bible says we can have. And so we need to be weary of the deceitfulness of riches and its ability to choke out the word of God. What it promises, it doesn't deliver and ultimately prevents you from being fruitful and bearing the fruit that Jesus has for us. And that's why in this, when it comes to money, when it comes to finances, we cannot have any gray areas. We cannot be unsure about where we stand in this. We have to deal decisively and honestly with what is happening in our hearts and position ourselves in a place where we can worship God. Amen? Come on, we want to position ourselves in that way where all that we have belongs to Him. You know, it's a joyful thing to, to submit yourself to God so thoroughly that you're just ready to whatever He tells you to do, whatever He speaks, whatever He brings into your heart or into your life, you're just ready to act on it. it. It's an incredible adventure to trust God to that extent. And there's only one thought that you're supposed to have when it comes to that, right? You know, I know that um, my golf is struggling at the moment. It has been for, you know, 11 years or so. But, but, um, but one of the reasons why is when I step up I, uh, to the golf ball, I have, you know, a hundred swing thoughts. I think about all the things, you know, lift your shoulder a little bit, you know, make sure that you, you keep your head on the right plane, make sure that you, you know, all the different things, lifting your club on the right plane, all those things that go through my head. And the problem is you overthink it. And I think we do the same thing when it comes to our relationship with God and with our relationship with money. And somebody said to me, I don't know if it was Brent or somebody else, but said, just have one swing thought, just one thing. And your one swing thought when it comes to trusting in God and following in His will is, is God good? Would God ask me to do something that's ultimately going to impact me negatively? Or do we believe today that everything God calls us to do will ultimately also benefit us? If we believe that, that's your one swing thought, don't think about it anymore, just do what God told you. It's very simple. Do you trust God? Do what He says. And so that's why this really has to do with your own trust, your own faith. There are certain things that we have to make pre-decisions about. How many of you have decided on maybe a Sunday night or a Monday morning, I'm going to eat healthy this week. But in the middle of the week, there's a birthday party. How many of you know that if you don't make some pre-decisions about your commitment to eating healthy and your goals, that you will get to that birthday party, you will see the sweets, you will see the cold drink, you will see the cake, you will see all the delicious things spread out on the table, and you will basically say what they said in, the, in Corinth. Let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Right? Like, 
That's what you're going to say. You're going to say, let's just do it. Forget eating healthy. I'll start again next week. No, there's certain things that you can't wait for the moment to make a decision about or to be committed to. You have to pre-decide, I am committed to this. Because in that moment, even when you're tempted to not be committed, you go with what you decided before. You go with what your value-based decision was. You know, when you made the decision when you weren't hungry and when you weren't at the birthday party staring down some cake. It's the same thing with our giving. I ask couples when we do premarital counseling with couples, I ask them first thing to go and write down the value statement for their marriage, for their future. What is your, who do you want to be? It, it, it's, it's kind of like choose your own adventure. Who do you want to be? What kind of marriage do you want to have? What, what's the legacy that you want? What do you want people to say about you one day when you're no longer here? You choose that today. You, you don't get to decide that on your deathbed. You decide that today. Who do you want to be? And then write that down. Okay, so our values are, and you know, everybody, I think it's because I'm a pastor, they always come back with, we want to, faith, our faith is a value. So my follow-up question is, okay, how are you going to embody that? How are you going to embody that? If you're saying Jesus is, the, is at the center, what are you going to do? What culture are you going to build? And sometimes my, my wife and I did this, and we decided we want to be generous people. And when it comes to the time to be generous, guess what? We don't always feel like it. No, we could do other things with this money. Maybe there's some loophole we can find our way out of this moment of this opportunity to be generous. We can justify it in some way. And then we go back to, wait a minute, who did we say we wanted to be? We made a pre-decision. And so we're going to act on it, even when we don't feel like it. That's what it looks like to live a value-based life, to live a life that is led by the values God has instilled within us through the Scriptures. In Paul's next letter to the Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, he says this in chapter 10 and verse 5. He says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Come on, there's, a, there, there's something that deals decisively with anything that attempts to replace God in your life. So again, we don't flirt with finances. We don't date two girls or two guys. We don't serve two masters. We don't take debt on a date. We wrestle finances to the ground and we bring it to submission and we make it tap out as ruler over our lives. So there comes a point for all of us, and this is a journey, it's a journey of maturity, but there comes a point when you realize that when it comes to finances, it's all or nothing. And I'm not saying that you have to give everything that you own, but, but in spirit you do. But you realize everything I have belongs to God and I'm either 100% submitted to Him or I'm not submitted to Him at all. It's an all or nothing moment. And that's the moment where you transition from somebody who kind of gives a little bit here or does a little bit there or you know, has some generosity present in their lives to actually becoming a kingdom builder. This is just, you know, a clever title that becomes your identity. What is your purpose in life? If somebody wakes you up in the middle of the night and says, what is your purpose in, in life? I'm a kingdom builder. I'm somebody who exists on this earth. God formed me in my mother's womb. 
All of my days was ordained before there was even one of them. He created good works for me to walk in beforehand. I am, I am the, the craftsmanship of Jesus. I am His work, His handiwork. And He has put me on this planet to do one thing, and that's build the kingdom. Now that's my identity. Do you see how that's different from going, oh, I earned a salary and uh, yeah, I'll just help this church stay alive. Here's, here's 100 bucks, you know? Shame, they're doing good work. Shame, man, that pastor tried hard today. Here's some money. You see how that's different? You're not just tipping God. You're not just giving a little of what you have into the offering box. No, you're actually understanding that you are partnering with God, that we are co-workers with the Holy Spirit, and that we are put on this earth to build the kingdom. And that doesn't just apply to finances, obviously. It applies to every area of our lives. But do you see yourself and the primary function of the finances that God has put in your hand, the resource that he has put in your hand, do you see the primary function of that to build the kingdom? Or, and I know I'm sorry this is confronting, to build your own kingdom. Whose kingdom are you building? It's all or nothing. The amazing thing, and Jesus said this, I didn't say this, I didn't make this up. Jesus said, if you build God's kingdom, he will build your kingdom. If you seek first his righteousness, his kingdom, all these other things will be added to you. So if you go about building God's house, God will build yours. He'll take care of you. He promises that. And so it's just a matter of trust and identity. Who do you believe in? Do you believe the words of Jesus? Do they, do they matter to you? When we begin to see that, this amazing thing happens. We are liberated from the love of money. We're liberated from the love of this world. We're liberated from the things of this world. There is nothing more dangerous to the antichrist system of our global world than people who are not owned by it, than people who are free from it. The fact that we don't take our identity, our, our direction, our instruction from a government or from any other world system because we believe in a higher government, the creator of heaven and earth, and we take all of our cues and all of our instruction and all of our leadership from that king. Now we, in reverence to Christ, we submit to earthly authority. We work, we're for the city. We're not trying to be rebels for the sake of being rebels. But we have a higher authority. This world would want nothing more. This world has a vision for you. And it's that you make your money, that you pay your tax, and that you don't cause any trouble. That's it. That's their vision for you. But God has a bigger vision. And so we need to have a bigger vision for our own lives, who we are and what God has, has given us the opportunity to do. They might sound like strong words this morning, but John, who was known as the apostle of love and uh, was, was really focused on the love and the heart of Jesus, he says this in 1 John 2, verse 15 to 17, he, 17, he says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. It's, it's okay for you to have it, just don't love it. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, 
but it is from the world. The world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. So investing your treasure and your time and your talent into this world for the sake of everything you can get in this world is literally like taking everything you own and yourself and getting onto the Titanic after it started sinking. When everybody's rowing away, you're rowing to it with everything you own. Now, I'm going to get on the ship, guys. It's going to be great. No, that ship is going down. And that's what the Scriptures are saying. Don't love the world. It's going to pass away. And all the lusts of the world and all the things that we work so hard for and give all, you know, people sacrifice their own families, their own relationship with their children in the pursuit of money. It destroys lives. And then at the end of the day, it doesn't matter anyways. It's an exercise in futility and the enemy would want nothing more for your life than to waste your time, than to remove you from being effective in the kingdom. So don't love the world. Don't invest in this world. Invest in the will of God that lives forever. Store up treasure in heaven. Be generous. Share. Help. Live a bigger life. Because it has an eternal reward. And this is what Jesus calls us to. It's what the apostles call us to. It's what the scriptures call us to. God has that eternal reward. And so it talks about how we shouldn't love the world but we should do the will of God, right? And so you can see it comes back to that issue of submission. It comes back to talking about our submission before God. And so what that leads us to is this understanding that before you can put your money in submission, before you can, can make your money submit, you have to be submitted to God, right? If you're not submitted to God in faith and trust, your money will never be able to be submitted. Your money will only be as submitted as you are. So what's your submission level? And submission is a trust. It's faith. It looks like believing in Jesus. It looks like a relationship. This is not a law. This is a relationship. Do you trust in Jesus? Do you trust in his heart for you? Before our money can be in submission to us, we have to be in submission to God. Now, when God created man, the Bible tells us that he breathed his spirit into man. The uncreated spirit of God, the eternal spirit of God entered into us. That's why our spirits are eternal even though our bodies are not. And so the Bible says that deep cries out unto deep. God testifies with our spirits, the spirit of God testifies with our spirits that we are children of God. In other words, God leads you from the heart. The heart of man is the candle of the Lord. So God speaks to your heart, your spirit man, your resurrected spirit as a believer. You are alive to hear the voice of God. And the idea is, is that we hear from God. Our spirits are in submission to Him. Our spirit being in submission to Him, we then tell our emotions, our soul, how to think and feel. We take every thought captive. And our soul, our, our thoughts and, and our feelings then tell our bodies, the most external part of us, how to act. That is what the Christian life looks like. Our spirits, the spiritual man, is what leads. The soul is submitted to the spirit. The body is submitted to the soul. 
That's how God created us. What happened when Adam and Eve fell, when mankind fell, was plunged into sinfulness, is that the spirit man died. And now we were living in the realm of the external. Whatever feels good, whatever my body tells me, whatever I want, whatever my emotions tell me to do, whatever my, my thoughts are, whatever things I can conjure up in my own brain, that's what I'm going to do. And it's ruled by a heart of sin. But the story of the gospel is that Jesus came, dealt with that heart of sin on the cross, and revived, regenerated our spirits within us. In fact, that spirit became his spirit. It's not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Now we have the spirit of Christ within us, but we need to renew our minds. We need to bring the mind, the realm of the mind, the soul, the emotions back into submission so that we're not ruled from the outside in, but from the inside out. The problem is a lot of Christians have allowed that soulish dimension of their lives to completely dominate their spirits their values, and who God called them to be. Why? Because they didn't bring it into submission. They didn't take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. They were too in love with the world, the external, and so they're living from the outside in. Oh, there's something amazing. There's a beautiful car. I want that luxury car. My soul desires that car. Shut up, spirit. I want the car. No, but God has got a bigger vision for your finances that's going to produce 30, 60, 100 fold. No, I want the car. Again, there's nothing wrong with having the car as long as you've got your priorities straight and you're being led by the spirit man. And so this is just how God has called us to live. And so money in this sense is a great servant, but a terrible master. It's a thing God blesses us and wants us to enjoy and use in service of him. But we've got to keep watch because it is sneaky. It's like Gollum leading the hobbits to Mordor. It looks submissive, but it's just waiting for an opportunity to pounce. If you haven't seen the Lord of the Rings, you've got to go and see what I'm talking about. Otherwise, that'll make no sense. Just waiting for the opportunity to take the upper hand. And that is why submitting to God's grace and walking in some sincere trust is the only way for us to experience true financial peace and freedom. Submission to God. When you own your money instead of your money owning you, owning you, that's when you're free. Without God's grace, we'll all be choked out. Because he who is in us is greater than he who is in this world. That's why we have the victory. We sang about the victory this morning. And so we should walk in it. And so, you know, spiritual theological foundation laid. I want to spend a few minutes just talking practically for a moment because some of you are like, that's where it comes to. A lot of you might even have the desire right now to be generous, but you know what's in your bank account or should I say what's not in your bank account. And you know that you don't feel like you have the means right now to do that. And so I'm going to give you a few steps today to bring your money into a submission hold. And I'm going to run through these quickly. But you'll see the confluence here of the so-called spiritual and practical, which really isn't a thing. It's really practical spirituality. What you do is spiritual. You live from a theological place. Everybody does, right? You have a certain philosophy and belief system, theology that you live from. Everybody does. The only people who don't, the only people who do things that are disconnected from any reason are people that have lost their minds. 
The rest of us all, even if it's unspoken and unclarified, we all live from some form of belief. So we need to know what that belief is, and it becomes our practical spirituality. The first point, if you want to wrestle riches to the ground, as I've been saying, number one, submit yourself wholly to God, completely, like everything that you have belongs to Him. James 4, 7 to 8 and verse 10 says, Submit yourself therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded, two masters, double-minded. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. God has got good for your life, but he can't give it to you unless you're in a position to receive it. You can't receive it without humility. God gives grace to the who? The humble. When we go to him knowing that we need it. And so it has to begin here. Do you trust in God? The Bible says that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repent, that leads us to submit. We're not, again, this is not a law. This is not a rule. This is not a finger pointing saying, you better do this or else. No, this is what happens when we've encountered the love of Jesus, the goodness of God, and we decide, we make a decision that this God has so overwhelmed me with his love that I submit everything to him. I give everything to him and I live for him. I've always loved this verse in Romans 8 verse 32. It says, He, God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You're worried about your future. You're worried about your life. You're worried about your finances. And the Bible's literally going, God gave Jesus his own son when you were in need. Why do you think that now with him, he would give you less? Why do you think he wouldn't take care of you? Why do you think he won't meet your needs according to the riches of Christ Jesus? Why do you think he will leave you stranded and alone if he already proved his commitment to you by sending Jesus? If God gave Jesus for you, why do you think he will not take care of you? And so if you want to submit to God, you need a greater revelation of God's love for you. And if you know God's love for you, you'll be free from the love of money. Number two, hear from the Holy Spirit. Right? So number one, submit yourself to God. Number two, hear from the Holy Spirit. Here's a question. Do you talk to God about your finances? Do you actually have the conversation? And I'm not just talking about your giving on a Sunday. I'm talking about your spending on a Monday through Saturday and a Sunday afternoon. <laughs> do you talk to God about your spending? God, is this the right thing for me to do right now? Do I really need this in my life? Do I have a check in my spirit? Not, not a check like the one that you write out, which we don't use in South Africa anymore. But do you have a check in your spirit about something that you're about to purchase? Should you wait and pray more about it? Are you open to hearing God's voice in coordinating your financial lives? How many of you pray before you set your budget? God, guide us in how we set our budget. What's our values? What do we want to live for? Does your transaction history reflect your values? Or do you exclude God from your finances? I wanted to tell you a quick story about somebody that I had the privilege of meeting when I was a youth pastor. When I was a young youth pastor, um, he was in the same church organization, church group that I was a part of. And 
for some reason, it was orchestrated this way, I believe, by God, where I got to sit with him at a few dinners and a few, uh, you know, church meetings, church leadership meetings and stuff, and ha have some great conversations with him. And this is a man by the name of Vito Rugani. And uh, I want to quickly tell you the story of Vito Rugani. He was uh, out from the West Rand of Joburg. And when I say West Rand, I mean the far West Rand. Like, I'm not even talking Krugersdorp. I'm talking Tolton, okay? He was out from that side and uh, had a struggling farm trying to produce vegetables and, and different uh, uh, you know, products, um, specifically carrots that he was trying to plant and just get ahead in life at one point. And so uh, Vito then one night, he was a believer, trusted in God, submitted to God, and one night he had a dream. And in this dream, God showed him that he should literally change the contour of his farm. Literally spend every cent that he had taking the contour of the farm from running in one direction to running in the other direction. And so he invested every cent he had into changing the lay of the land of his small carrot farm that he had. And as a result, he had such an incredible uh, crop of carrots at such a premium grade and quality that he started to get some real traction in the industry. Today, Vito Rugani and Rugani Carrots is the single biggest carrot producer in Africa. They do 60,000 tons of carrots every single year. And literally 50% of the premium grade carrots that are sold in this country come directly from his farm, still out in Tolton. God had a plan for Vito's life. And now, uh, it might not look like it, looking at that photo, but, but Vito would be one of the wealthiest people in this country. You know what Vito spends his time doing? And I know this. I can tell you much more about his story if I had the time. But literally, these are the things that Vito spends his time on. He spends his time looking after the poor. He funds um, homes for orphans and unwanted babies and, and, and as much as he can, looks after the poor. This is what he does. He spends his time preaching the gospel. He goes to churches and he shares just the powerful revelation of what God can do in your life if you begin trusting in him and a bigger vision for people's lives. And he spends his time building churches. He builds churches, pays for them, sets pastors in them and just sees them going. Here's another picture of Vito standing in front of one of his trucks. Does he look like a man who's in love with money? That's why he has so much of it. Powerful things begin to happen when you decide that you're going to partner with God in your life. God looked at a man and said, through this man, I can do much. Why? He submitted to me. He trusts in me. This money won't ruin him. It won't overtake him. It won't destroy his values. It will lead him in the right. So I can use him. God is not going to give us something that's going to destroy us. And so until we're submitted, we can't receive God's best for our lives. And so this is an incredible testimony of what it looks like when we begin to partner with God. It ultimately funds God's purpose for your life. Number three, as we said before, make plans and pre-decisions. Make plans and pre-decisions about your life. Once you've heard from the Spirit, once you've gotten a revelation of God's Word, here's the thing, do it. Just do it. Make a pre-decision. 
Do everything God has called you to do and do not look back. Don't overthink it. Don't think twice. We read the scripture last week, Isaiah 32, 8 says, but a generous man devises generous plans. So make some plans. How are you gonna be generous in 2022? How are you gonna do that? Make a plan. Decide what you wanna do and then don't overthink it, just do it. By his generosity, he will stand. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart. In other words, you have to actually make a decision. I think sometimes we sit in church and we wait for the Holy Spirit to sprinkle some, some financial fairy dust on us, and then all of a sudden we're gonna be moved. We go, oh, where's my wallet? Where's my phone? Where's that snap scan code? I, I just wanna give right now. No, make a decision. Decide in your heart. Pray about it. Think about it. Decide and then do it. Matthew 6, verse 3 to 4, Jesus said, But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's amazing how you own both your left and your right hands, but you have to keep some secrets from yourself. <laughs> this is an interesting scripture. How many of you here today are right-handed? Hands up if you're right-handed. All right, that's, do we have any left-handed people here? Anybody left-handed? Oh, you're the special three, four. So, so generally, your right hand is symbol of being dominant, of ruling in your life. And we should lead according to our values. What is our right hand? It's what we've decided. It's who we are. It's how we lead in our lives. And Jesus says, don't let your right hand, the thing that you know that you're about, don't let your left hand, that lesser part of you, that, that isn't supposed to be ruling and reigning in your life, don't let the, that part become unsubmitted to the right hand. In other words, do what you've decided to do according to the values that you have and lead your life. And those parts of you that will say, yeah, but there's a lot of cool things we could do with that money. <laughs> don't let that part of you know. Give in secret. Just do it quietly. Hey, I'm not gonna listen to any other thoughts. Here we go. I'm generous. Let what is important to you lead you in your life. That's so important for us to do. We gotta keep our selfish desires at bay. Keep your left hand out of the loop when it comes to money. Okay, number four, and this is where it gets real. So we've submitted to God. We have heard from the Holy Spirit. We've made plans and pre-decisions. Number four, Get rid of debt. You, you can't give if you already have, have given out more than you actually owned to begin with. You're in a deficit. How are you gonna give out of a deficit? It's one thing to give when you have very little. It makes it a lot harder to give when you have minus a certain amount. Romans 13, eight says, owe no one anything except to love them. So this is a biblical, being debt free is actually a biblical principle. It's something that we should all strive to. And I know it's hard in our world, and, um, but this is how we can make room for generosity in our lives. You can't be generous or build the kingdom if you don't have a healthy bank balance. And so I wanna give you a few pointers. I'm gonna give these quick, so write these down. If you wanna get debt free, step one, partner with God. Step one, start making your kingdom uh, the kingdom your priority and start being generous with your finances in building the kingdom. Step two, save 15,000 rand 
as an emergency fund. You didn't think this was going to get this practical. You thought I was going to go to the next verse. No, no, no. Save some money. Put 15,000 rand in a bank account. Don't touch it. If you are worried about touching it, draw it all, put it behind a glass frame, put it in your cupboard, and put a sign on it that says break in case of emergency, right? That emergency fund exists so that when you have an actual emergency, like you know, Ruth the other day's alternator packed up and then she can't go anywhere because her car can't drive. That's an emergency. She needs 5,000 rand to fix it. You don't go into debt for emergencies because you've saved and planned for it. So the first thing you do is get an emergency fund that you can then replenish after you've dealt with that emergency. Step three, take some time to list all of your debts and then do everything you can to pay off the smallest debt first. So let's say you have a clothing account, costs you a thousand rand a month. Go gazelle crazy. Sell some stuff in your house. Put extra money. Cut things out of your budget. Stop going to the movies. Do whatever you need to do. If you need to buy a leaf blower and go to Bryanston in, you know, when the season changes and ask the people if you can clean their driveways for 500 rand and put it into, into those debts. But do whatever you need to do to pay off your smallest debt. If you've paid off that debt and you've got that thousand rand that you were paying that you now no longer are paying, take that thousand rand and pay it towards the next debt, the next biggest, the next smallest. And once that's paid off, you just keep taking that amount and adding it to the next. And it becomes a snowball effect where you will, in less time than you could have imagined, be debt free. So write it down and start creating the snowball. If you keep doing this, you're going to be able to live like no one else lives later on. You know, a lot of people, they, they go and buy a car that ends up being worth less than what they can get for it, and so they're stuck in a trap of debt. I've, I've spoken to many people that this has happened to, right? Just drive an old, beat-up second-hand car. That's okay. Just drive it. I promise you, you will have more freedom and peace and joy in your own heart driving a car that's paid off than knowing that you've got a, a, a monthly debit of 10 or 15,000 rand a month on a car. And so make sure that if you drive, and I want to tell you this, if you drive like no one will now, you will drive like no one can later. What you can do is while you drive that paid off car, save the repayment. Put 3,000 rand a month in an account. A year from now, you'll have 36,000 rand Take that 36,000 rand and sell the old car that you're driving right now and buy another car cash, upgrade. Keep doing that and sell it and upgrade. And keep doing that. Within a few years, you, you could drive a Ferrari debt-free. People have done this. It does actually work. Your biggest wealth building tool that you have is your income. So stop giving it to Hi-Fi Corp and Puppuccinos. Those are great companies and we support them here at Anchor and so we've got nothing against them. I'm just saying, stop buying stuff and start thinking about what God has given you to invest. All right, once you've done that, now you're debt free. Step four, save three to six months monthly income. Get a reserve of three to six months should there be any kind of a job change or any kind of a situation that you would have to deal with, save three to six months worth of monthly income or monthly budget. If your household budget is 50K, then save 150 to 300,000 Rand and put it in an account. That is money you don't touch. Guess what? Now you're no longer exposed. If any massive thing happens, 
you've, you're covered. You could, if, you, if you were retrenched or there was some economic crisis like we've been through in recent years, you'd have the money to see that out at least for three to six months. You could do more, but start there. After that, the final step, start investing. Start investing. We've got some great people in our church that can help you with that. Start putting money towards the things that are gonna build a future for you in terms of retirement, in terms of your family, in terms of all those things. But remember that step one was all along you're partnering with God. I have prayed a prayer that I've prayed consistently for a few years now, which is God help us to be debt free. It's actually something I entrusted God with. And God gave us opportunities for Lee and I to start when we can do extra work and to make wise decisions and save money where we can. And the amazing thing is we didn't stop living, we didn't stop enjoying life, but we can just make better decisions. And as a result, we're in a position where we're almost, almost debt free. And I exclude a home from that because that's much more of an investment. Although it would be our goal to be debt free even in terms of our home that we've bought. But we don't even earn a lot of money. It's, not even, it's just partnering with God and being faithful. And before you know it, you're living like no one else can because we're not slaves to money. Amen? We're not in love with the world so we can actually create this kind of a future. The final point is remain faithful. Remain faithful. Many people don't know this, but before Jesus goes on to say what he said about the two masters and not being able to serve uh, you know, two masters serving one or the other, he says this in Luke 16, verse 10 to 13. This is actually the context of what he says this, of what he says there. He says, one who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have not been faithful in unrighteous wealth, talking about money, who will entrust to you true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? Then Jesus says, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will love the one, uh, uh, will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Isn't that an incredible thing? Jesus says, do you know how you will know if you're devoted to money over God? You won't even be able to be faithful in very little. Even when, when God asks you out of your 10,000 rand salary to give 1,000 rand or 1,500 rand, you're like, oh, I can't do that. If you can't be faithful in the very little, even with un things like unrighteous wealth, how can God truly fulfill all of his plans through your life? True riches, laying a hold of that which is truly life. And so this is actually something that is so vitally important, not just for our finances, but for our walk with God, for the purpose and plan that God has for our lives. And so what we wanna do is be a generous church, filled with generous people, hospitable people, people that are as generous as the God whom we serve, who loved so much that he gave. He gave his own son. That's who God is causing us to become. We wanna build a culture of generosity in our own lives. When I was a kid, I watched my dad. My dad had this one thing that doesn't matter what God told him to give, doesn't matter what it is, 
And how it would inconvenience him if God told him to give it in that moment, he would do nothing else but instantly give it. And there were times that I protested. I felt that the people that my dad was giving to weren't always worthy or even um, uh, uh, grateful for what they received. And I remember one situation where I mentioned to this person, my dad had asked me to tell them that he was going to give it. And I sat with him and I said, my, my dad says he wants to give this. And his response was, oh, that's great. Just tell him to bring it. And I wanted to go to my dad and say, dad, this guy doesn't deserve it. Like, don't give it. And he said to me, he said, my boy, when God tells me to give, I just give. My duty is to do what God told me to do. Their responsibility is to, is to what they do with what God has given them. And so let's not argue our way out of generosity based on the merits of who we're giving to. What did God say? Let's just do it. Let's wrestle our riches to the ground. Bring our money into submission. Leave a true legacy for those in our world and force our finances to serve the eternal purposes of God. Amen? Can we do that? Hey, I know that there was a lot in that today. But fortunately, we have the recording. And I know that you're all going to go this week and watch on YouTube and make notes and write this down. Get it into your spirits, right? That's what everyone's going to do. If you missed any of that, but let's make sure that we have a good relationship with money. As we head into 2022, what's your vision? What's God calling to you? Partner with Him. He says, test me in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on your life until there is no more need. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with us this morning as we pray?